Well, dear friends, I'd ask you now to please turn your very prayerful attention to that passage, the first passage that I read to you in your hearing, there in the book of Isaiah in the 60th chapter, and wishing to take for my text this evening the words found in the verse 8. It might seem a very mysterious verse to you, but I pray with God's help and enabling, it'll be opened up to our understanding. And obviously we'll need to look at the context and to discover these somewhat mysterious words. But friends, the word of God is given for our understanding, and only God can unseal the meaning of his word. May we look to him. These words, Isaiah 60 and the verse 8, who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Before we come to the meaning of this verse, let me just set before you the very background of it. It's not hard to see from this chapter, as we read the chapter, it speaks of the coming Savior that would come into the world, that one who is the light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. It's the most famous and well-known title of the Lord Jesus given in many passages in the Old Testament. The prophecy here of Isaiah chapter 60, and in fact, the book Isaiah ministered for many years, and it's believed somewhere around 702 years approximately that this chapter, the Lord had given these visions to Isaiah concerning the coming of the Savior into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know altogether well many of the passages, don't we, in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the virgin shall be with child and shall call his name Emmanuel. Many times interwoven in the prophecy of Isaiah are announcements concerning the Savior that is to come. In Isaiah chapter 8, we also have his name there, as is alluded to in Isaiah 7.14, Emmanuel. Again, he is announced as Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 8. And then we have the well-known four servant songs in the prophecy of Isaiah. In fact, very often, Isaiah has been referred to many of the old worthies as the gospel of Isaiah, because it is full of the gospel. It's full of the things of Christ. And we have those servant songs speaking of the suffering servant, the successful servant, the servant of Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. That is how he is styled. The one who is the Lord, and would, yet though he is God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself as a servant, even as he came into this world, as we're told in Philippians chapter 2. He's styled there in all of those four servant songs as the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, 52, and also chapter 53. Those four servant songs span all of those chapters right in the center. And so the gospel has been announced. The Savior, spoken of his sufferings and his death there in Isaiah 53, how his soul would be made an offering for sin. And by him, 
By his stripes are we healed. And how he would bear the iniquity of his people and so on. And so the gospel has been announced. The suffering of the Savior has been also announced. And how he would be pierced for the transgressions of many. How he would bear the iniquities of his people. So with all that in view, when we come to Isaiah 60, it's tremendous. We have here, it's very clear, and this is why I read also from Luke Luke chapter 2, how even Simeon, when he enters the temple, he quotes some of these words. Here, Isaiah 60, verse 1, notice, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. This is the light of the Savior, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee. And his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. That is the light of the Lord and Christ who is the light of the world. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. Hear these things spoken of concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you just turn back to that passage that I read in your hearing there in Luke chapter 2. And you notice there in Luke 2 in the verse 28. It's interesting here we find these allusions made reference to when Simeon, a very old man, comes into the temple and it was revealed by the Spirit of God that he should see the Savior before he departed this life. And thus he may leave in peace for he has seen the salvation of the Lord. Luke 28, 2, 28. Then took he, that is Christ, up into his arms and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. The Lord had spoken to him and said he would, he would have peace as soon as he sees the Lord. And that's true for every soul, let me say, that comes to see Christ by faith. They can leave this world in peace, peace with God. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to, sh to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And this is the glory and the light that Isaiah has been prophesying, that light of the world, Jesus Christ. We have those well-known words, don't we, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we're told, he is that light, and he is the light of men. And men come to a knowledge. When we think of light, we think of understanding and knowledge and truth. And here we have a very interesting word, and this has to do with God's people. Verse 8, who are these that fly as a cloud? And you understand as you read this whole chapter, there are those that follow this one who is the light. Remember what he said, while you have the, the light, while you have him, he who is the light of the world, follow, walk in light. And Christians have him as their light in this world. They have him as their understanding. We lived once in darkness, in the dark night of sin. We lived to ourselves. We groped around, as it were, in the darkness and folly of our minds. In our old nature. 
the Lord has shone in our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ in our hearts. This is true for God's people. And there are various things I want to point out before we come to our text this evening. These doves that fly as a cloud, I submit to you, are the Lord's people. And I want to bring to the unbeliever's mind virtues and things about God's people. And it may question our hearts. Are we amongst God's people? Are we as these doves? These doves that fly as a cloud in this dark world. It's a good question to ask as we examine our hearts. And I want to bring to you the virtues of these people who are often styled in the word of God as doves and who are led of the Spirit as the Spirit listeth where it will. We can't see the work of the, of the wind, but we can see the effects of it. and We can see the effects of God's Spirit upon God's people. I pray, with the Lord's help, I'll be able to bring these allusions of Scripture to your mind this evening. I want you to notice how, first of all, the unbelieving are described as the sea. I've mentioned this, I know, in a great number of sermons, and I want you to see it never more so clearly as we see it in verse 5 of Isaiah 60. And before we get to that, I want to say that, unbeliever, before we are saved, we're as the troubled sea that get no rest. These are the words of Scripture. The wicked are as the troubled sea that have no rest. But look at what God does in salvation. Isaiah 60, verse 5, Then thou shalt see, and flow together, and thine heart shall fear. And be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. Think of it. We don't speak here of the ocean being converted. This is spiritual, what we call anthropomorphic language, whereby God here describes the mass of people in this world that are converted unto him. Notice there, then thou shalt see. The Lord here is speaking to the church. The church here in the Old Testament, they will see the power of Almighty God. The believing Jews in this day will see what the Lord will do amongst the Gentiles. Even the vast converted sea of the unbelieving shall be converted. Notice the language, well, it's unmistakable. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear. Let's fear the Lord and be enlarged. The Jew will marvel at the mighty work of God. The soul will be enlarged in greater love as the true believing Jew sees many Gentiles brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because, here's the reason, the abundance of the sea, not speaking about the ocean again, shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Do you see that language? There are many so-called and seemingly mysterious things of God's word, but they're not hard once we see and once we understand that Scripture must interpret Scripture. 
And this is a tremendous thing that we find ourselves here in the year 2023. And the word of God has gone out. And there are many from various kindreds, tribes, tongues, and nations, even here tonight, that the Lord has saved and brought to himself. And the Jews ought to marvel at this. For so long, this glory of the Lord, the Gentiles now are going to be that glory, that light in the world. The Jews were meant to be a light to the Gentiles. But how it is in Romans chapter 11 that even the Gentiles will be as a light in this world and even ministering unto many that are without. But here, these are, I submit to you, God's people. And then we have in this amazing chapter how they follow the Lord, how they give their gold and silver to the Lord. We know that even in the days when our Lord Jesus Christ came in the flesh, how the kings came to him. And we know that they gave of their wealth. They sought the Lord, those wise men of the East. We're approaching that time of year. Many say that there were three men because there were three gifts. Well, there was a great number, perhaps, of wise men that came to see the Lord from afar, even from the East. And how they bring and bring him honor and glory. And all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered unto thee. The rams of Naboth, even those that are far off. And the Lord will receive the glory. So these things we want to consider this night. Who are these people? This is the question that is asked in verse 8. Who are these that fly as a cloud, as the doves to their windows? I submit to you that these are the Lord's people. And so often it is described in Scripture that they are as doves. They have come to see the great light, Jesus Christ. And what we have here is the behavior of a Christian. What we have here, my unbelieving friend, is I want you to see this is how we know that somebody has been born again. It is said, isn't it? It's a, it's a well-known phrase that we know Birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. John reminds us, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Those who are the Lord's people love to spend time together. It's one of the marks of a believer. It's one of the marks John shows us in First John one of those acid tests as to whether we know we're a Christian. This is true of the disciples. Remember, as they were saved on that great day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we read how over 3,000 of them were saved and added to the church that day. And what did they do? They break bread and ate together. And they came under the apostolic ministry they met every day, and they met from house to house, and they had all things in common, and they united their hearts. They were as doves that fly as a cloud. I want to think of that analogy. This is analogy given by Scripture by the Holy Spirit to us that is meant to make us to think. I want to think 
really what it is to be a Christian. You're unsaved. Well, these analogies often express many things. We know that when there was that great flood, you remember that great flood, that great deluge, when the Lord flooded the earth, the entire earth, and only eight souls survived. And Noah sent out two birds. One of them was a raven. The raven never came back, but the dove did. The dove had her resting place in the ark. And I want to suggest to you that while the raven, what did it do? It lived on the carrion of the lost world, eating, as it were, the dead bodies and things floating upon the ocean. And that is the unbeliever. He lives on the dead carrion of the things of this world. But the ark, well, its resting place was the ark where the dove returned. And here these people of the Lord are them that, notice, as we look at this chapter, the Lord has arisen. His light has shined, shined upon them. That's the first thing. Arise, shine, for the light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. This is what happens in salvation, my friends. When you are saved, light comes into your life. And it begins to expel all forms of darkness and your former ways. And you can say, Christ has risen in my heart. The truth I have come to know. I was once living in darkness. And now I value this truth. And I value all that Christ is for me. Can you say, I once walked in darkness. But now there is light. Paul reminds us, as well as John, we walk in the light. Christ is the light. Notice verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Is that not true of today? Those of us who are Christians, we can say, as we shake our heads, rather in pity, not with any glee or malice, we say the world is in darkness. But we say we were once part of this world. But light has come into our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. And now we see, we see, we see this world for what it is. It's perishing. The raven went back to the world. The raven went back to the dead carcasses. And that's true for all of those who are empty believers of Hebrews chapter 6. They never were converted. Paul says, but we are persuaded better things of you. Things that accompany salvation. You see, my friends, when we are saved, light comes to us. And we love the light. We love the truth. We love to hear the light. We love to hear of Christ. And we can understand these things. We can comprehend them. There's a wonderful verse in Malachi 4.2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. It's a tremendous verse. You think of the young calves that have been in the stall of winter, and they come forth with life leaping. And that's true for the Christian. 
There's now a new spring in his step. Just as that calf comes from the stall. Why? Because Christ has come with healing in his wings into our hearts. Arise, shine, for light is come. My friend, you rise up every morning and look for more light in the word of God. It's a good question to ask. If you do, it's a great sign that there's life because you want more light. Lord Jesus said they will not come to the light because they love darkness. You love the word of God. My friend, this word explains everything, the history of this world. It explains your heart, your mind. It tells you the dangers of life. It tells you all kinds of things. It tells you that this world is, is an empty world. That only Christ can give life. It's interesting. In John's Gospel, we read there, if you just turn with me there to John chapter 1, how John refers to Christ. Of course, this is the Holy Spirit. We're told, look at the words life and light. Verse 3, all things were made by him. This is the same one that is the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. You see, you cannot have life, my friend, without light. You can't really have life without the light of God's word shining in your heart every day. You can't. This is where life comes from. And great enjoyment do God's people have as they study the word? It's a tremendous thing to be a Christian. And what a privilege we have to have a Bible. Christ is not only the light of the world, but he is our light. He has become life and light for us. Now you notice, as I said earlier, verse 2, the people of this world are in gross darkness. And there is the sea, the sea that has no rest, and they are, the sea, we're told, is converted. God brings in a great mass of Gentiles. This is the power of God by his Spirit. It's the work of Almighty God. God converts the soul. We're told here that these the seas are converted and are drawn to him. What did the Lord Jesus say? No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, John 6, 44. And again, men are pictured as the sea. Do you have no rest, friend, in your life? It's a question I want to ask you. Do you have peace? You can only have peace if you have the Lord. Let me tell you this. Circumstance change of life. You can have a house, you can have a family, you can have a wife, you can have children, you can have grandchildren, and still never have rest. You can have all the wealth of this world and not have rest. It's not going to sort your life out. Only God can sort the life out. Only God can change things. You'll be miserable without God. And lost is the troubled sea of this world. Well, look at verse 6. The prophet, he can't take in what God has done. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries, that's the Arabian camel of Midian and Ephah, these men coming from afar off. We think of the Ethiopian eunuch. My, he 
He was working for Candace, queen. He had great wealth. See, God made him to hunger and thirst. Who is this? Who is this that I'm reading about? Who is this? Could you tell me, Philip? See, there's a man. Had great wealth. But until he knew the Lord, he was very poor. Very poor. And then we won't, without any more delay, you notice, who are these, verse 8, that fly as a cloud and as the doves do their windows? We want to think on three things here this evening. First of all, the doves. The doves. Who are these that fly as a cloud as the doves to their windows? Doves. We speak, do we not, of God's people. You know, if you turn with me to Song of Solomon, in chapter 2, the Lord refers to his people as doves. What do we read there? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock. The Lord Jesus is speaking to his church, to every one of his believers. In the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is lovely, is comely. Why is the Lord using this language? Because this language fits, does it not? Isaiah chapter 60 verse 8. The language is the same. These are the same doves. I want to tell you some interesting things about doves. Doves. Doves mourn, commonly known as the mourning doves. These are the most well-known of the doves. They are known to mourn. When you hear a dove, they mourn. And uh, just as God uses fitting analogy, sometimes he describes his people as sheep. Because sheep go astray. David said, I have been a stray sheep. And the Lord restores his people. But doves... The interesting thing about doves, these morning doves, they are primarily seed eaters. We think of the seed of God's word. Is that not true? God's people love his word. That's our primary, as it were, that's our source of food. We feed upon the word of God. Something else. We know a morning dove as a calming call. We hear them mourn. But the believer mourns over his sin. That's true, doesn't he? He or she. And look at the picture there in Song of Solomon. Chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock. Christ, my friends, is the rock. Remember, it was in that rock that Moses was given to see the glory of God. And my friends, the glory of God is in Jesus Christ, who is the rock of ages. In the secret places of the stairs, let me hear, see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice. The Lord loves to hear the voice of his people as they mourn over their sin. My friend, have you, have you begun to mourn over your sin? Well, that's a sign of a Christian. Blessed are they that mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. But it begins first, doesn't it, with blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are the very same ones that mourn. They see themselves to be great and unworthy sinners. And they mourn. They long to be free from sin. But the Lord says here, let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Well, it's a self-effacing countenance. You think of a countenance of a man, it can be proud. We often speak, do we not, of a proud or a haughty countenance. A Christian does not have that. As he looks within, he sees that there's no good thing within. And we know though that when we're saved, although we see there's nothing good within, we see Christ, who is the light of the world. And we have joy in him. Because he saved us. We know we're unworthy. We have another allusion in Hosea 7, verse 11. Ephraim also is like a silly dove. Without heart, they call to Egypt. Doves can be silly. Sometimes they're ignorant of their predators. And doves have predators. And we do have predators. We didn't used to. You know, when you become a Christian, you become the sport of men. Do you not? Peter has to warn early Christians how now they ridicule you because you don't run in the same excess of riot as you used to, but you gladly bear it for the sake of Christ. Something else about a dove a morning dove, they mate for life. And this is true for the Christian. They're married to another. As we're told in Romans chapter 7, even to Christ. We belong to him. You know, when you marry, even now you marry in the Lord, and that's a blessed thing to marry in the Lord, but the Lord Jesus has the preeminence even in that marriage. And my friend, if you put anybody before the Lord Jesus, as he said, mother, father, brother, sister, anybody, you're not worthy to be his disciple because thy husband is thy maker. The very one who is God became man and the two are one flesh. Christian and Christ are one forever. And he has united himself to his people by taking to himself bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh and dying for us that we might be one in him and that he might live in us. That's what he does. Something else. And only made for life. Something else, a morning dove, right? In my studies this past week, they, they usually have two eggs. Two eggs. And it's true. I hope I'm not stretching things here, but we are told of two cardinal graces in the Christian life. What are they? Faith and love. It's called the breastplate of righteousness. And that's something that every true Christian has. Faith and love. 
Those things that are birthed, and we have it in the Song of Solomon, they described as the breasts of the bride. That's why I say the breast, and they grow in equal proportion. It's interesting, roe deer also give birth to twins. It's a common thing. Usually two, and it's true. We're told there in Song of Solomon that they're in equal proportion. And this is true for everyone that is God's bride. And this is what he loves. Faith must grow in equal proportion to the love. It's a hideous thing, my friends, when you see somebody who professes to be a Christian that has much faith but little love. You have to wonder if it's genuine faith. What did James say? See, my brethren, a man that says he has much faith but has no love. That faith, you can be sure of it, it's dead. It's a figment of his imagination. It's not real. And the Christian will mourn that his faith and his love is not consistent. That's the difference. Christian will grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Grace, when we think of the grace, it's the practice of faith in the life. As you learn, you say, I don't want to just come here for knowledge. But I want to put it to practice in my life. Two eggs. Think of the roe deer. Twins. Faith and love. Paul says, this is the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6, 4. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And he says to Timothy, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard in me, faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ is the object of our faith. And as we behold him, we love him. And in beholding him, we become changed. You see, this analogy is very fitting. And here's another thing. These doves are hunted as a game bird. When the Lord saves you, you're brought into a danger. The danger of this world. The sport of men. And the Christian will bear it. Because he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord above all. Ezekiel 7 verse 16. But they that escape of them shall escape. And shall be in the mountains like doves of the valleys. All of them mourning. Every one for his iniquity. My friend, do you mourn for your iniquity? We don't mourn over sin because of the mere consequence of sin, but because it it grieves God. We read there in Genesis, when God looked down from heaven, it grieved his heart that he had made man. And it grieves us that we have not given Christ the honor that he deserves in our lives. We have not given him our best service.
There's that verse also. A dove flies. We read even, we sang it. One day we shall fly. We shall fly to be with the Lord. Born of the Lord, my happy soul, in flame of love arise. Love my dear father and his flock, and love his holy ways. Born of the Lord, I soon shall fly. Fly to his bright abode. Rise to the honors of his throne. To live and reign with God. My friends, that is the spirit of a Christian. To fly, to be with God forever. To be away from this world of sin. The psalmist says in Psalm 55 verse 6, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Are you at rest in this world? The raven found rest. Never came back to the ark. But the dove did. And found rest with Noah. There was the presence of the Lord. And this great cloud, it's interesting. They, these doves fly as a cloud. And this analogy, again, is very fitting to God's people. We have it in Hebrews. There's a great cloud of witnesses, says the Apostle Paul, that have gone before us. A cloud. And when you think of a cloud, it's together. And these doves, they fly not separate, not lone bandits, but they fly as a cloud together. How so? When you think of a cloud, what, what do you think? It's moved by the wind, isn't it? And so it is. The Holy Spirit is described in fitting analogy as the wind that bloweth where it listeth. And you see when God's people see something wrong, you see them all move in the same direction. It's the same as a group of birds. They fly. You watch swallows. You watch birds. You watch doves. They follow. If there's danger, they all move in one direction. You can be sure of it. If one bird flies in a different direction, it's either not of that flock, belongs to another feather. But God's people, they know the truth. And they follow the truth. And they fly. Remember what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus. He says, you receive not our witness. We, we speak the truth, he said. And then he said, a man must be born again. He can't see the kingdom nor enter the kingdom except he be born again. And Nicodemus, you must understand, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he said, marvel not, I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the wind, the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh. And whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The wind, my friends, is powerful. And it's sovereign. And yet God's people understand the way of the Spirit. They taught of the Spirit of God. They fly together. But where do they fly? To their windows. It's an interesting verse, this. Notice verse 8, we're told here. 
Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? You see, they all have their windows, their resting place, as it were. Their place, that place of safety. It's interesting, if you just turn with me there to Genesis 8, we have a wonderful picture. Genesis 8, verse 6, And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried and didn't come back from off the earth. He lived off, in other words, the dead carrion. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest, no rest for the soul of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark. She left from the window and came back the same way. It's the same for God's people. When we think of what God has given us, we have a window into heaven, as it were, from his word. You can see this is the way, heaven. God has opened up, as it were, heaven to us, an understanding. John, he looks up and he beholds the glory that awaits God's people. And we see that this world is passing very quickly. And we return to the Lord every time and we keep looking up. It's interesting when we read in Titus chapter 2 how God's people are described. How they, in life, they come into the school of grace and how God has appeared to them and they come to a knowledge of him. And it says how they live. They deny ungodliness. Verse 12, Titus chapter 2. And worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. You say, looking. We look upward and onward. We look away from ourselves. And we long to be with the Lord. We follow him wherever we're told. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Wherever his leading is, they, they led by the light. We've read here how light has shone into them. And now you watch how they fly together. You know, my friends, when God is working in his people, they are led in this direction, that direction. And the church is a wonderful place for unity. Let me say this. And I can say this with all sincerity. Our church members' meetings are such a blessing to be in. They're sweet. We're told, like oil coming down from Aaron's beard, that unity. What were we before? We were walking in darkness, at variance with God. And at variance with one another. But when God brings us into the family of God, and it should be like this, like a cloud of doves flying to this place and that place, doing great exploits for the Lord. 
That's how a church should be. We're not perfect. But we do know the Spirit of God. It's God that does it. That's why it is so important that a church must be made up of regenerate souls. People who really mourn over their sin. People who look inwardly and who loathe sin and can't wait to fly to be with God. These are God's people. And they love to find rest in Christ. I read something from John Newton's lovely hymn. Rest for the weary souls. Remember where the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is God's people. Does the gospel word proclaim, Rest for those who weary be? Then my soul, put in thy claim. Sure, that promise speaks to thee. Marks of grace I cannot show. All polluted is my breast, yet I am weary, am I know, and the weary long for rest. Burdened with a load of sin, harassed with tormenting doubt, hourly conflicts from within, hourly crosses from without, all my little strength is gone, sink I must without supply. Sure upon the earth there's none can more weary be than I. In the ark, the weary dove found welcome resting place. Thus my spirit longs to prove rest in Christ, the ark of grace. Tempest-tossed I long have been, and the flood increases fast. Open, Lord, and take me in till the storm be overpassed. My friends, those of us who are Christians, the storm of life will be passed. And we are told that there is coming a great tempest. Isaiah 32 verse 1. But a man shall be for a hiding place, a shelter for the storm. Although I and all the church members are great sinners, we rest in Christ. And we long that others will find rest in him. You won't find it in the world, my friend. You'll be troubled in this world. It's no place. It's no place for the saint. Abide in Christ. Seek him. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You burdened over your sin, you fly to Christ. If you're a dove, you will. And you give your soul no rest till you know his mercy. Amen.